This is Dana Thomas, and you're listening to The Green Dream, a podcast about how to green up your life by Wondercast Studio. Climate change is bearing down on us like a mighty hurricane, and it's scary as hell, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dana Thomas, a leading voice in the sustainable fashion movement. On The Green Dream, I welcome global experts, creators, and change makers from politics, business, and the arts for dynamic conversations on how you can green up your life. The Green Dream is the podcast of hope. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and at select stores. And this episode is sponsored by Chloe, luxury fashion's first B Corp certified brand, dedicated to bringing positive impact to people and planet and everything it does. Chloe is committed to improving social and environmental sustainability with greater transparency, accountability, and beyond, with the aim to create a fairer and more sustainable future. Find out more on Chloe.com. My guest today on The Green Dream is a legendary former Vogue editor, Andre Leontali. And no, he is not speaking to us from the grave. Though if anyone could, and would, it would be Andre. I first met Andre in the early 1990s when I moved to Paris and saw him at fashion shows. About 10 years ago, I did an interview with him for my book, Gods and Kings, The Rise and Fall of Alexander McQueen and John Galliano. And I've always felt it was one of the most hilarious and moving conversations I have ever had with anyone. Nothing with Andre was ever less than full on. This week, a year after his death at 73 from COVID-19, a large swath of his estate is up for auction at Christie's in New York to benefit two of his favorite places of worship, the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem and the Mount Sinai Missionary Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina, where he grew up. The Christie's auction is how this interview fits into the Green Dream remit. If you buy well, and boy did Andre buy well, and was gifted very well too, your belongings can have a good long life after you're gone, be it heirlooms for friends and family, or estate sales open to the public. As I say often in my British Vogue sustainability column, in interviews and in conference speeches, the most sustainable thing you can do is buy less, buy better. We've even turned that into a hashtag. Hashtag buy less, buy better. Andre and I met for our interview at the Mona Bismarck American Center in Paris, where he was overseeing the installation of A Little Black Dress, an exhibition he had originally curated for the Savannah College of Art and Design's Museum of Art. Andre was very involved with SCAD, as the university is known, and he left a portion of his estate to the museum. I have had a long association with SCAD too, and spent several months in Savannah as a writer-in-residence at the university working on Gods and Kings. During our chat, Andre discusses how he first met the British fashion designer John Galliano in London in the 1980s, and talks about their long and sometimes wobbly friendship. He also tells us about how he helped another friend, John's longtime muse, Amanda Harlech, land her charmed gig as Karl Lagerfeld's creative consultant at Chanel. Karl, who was a dear friend of Andre's, and died in 2019 at 85, had many jobs over the years, most of them at the same time. He designed for Chanel, Fendi, his namesake brand, and from the mid-1960s to the mid-1980s, Chloe. 
He returned to Chloe for a stretch of the 1990s until our friend, the echo-minded designer Stella McCartney, took over. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Chloe took advantage of the quiet time to pivot fully to social and climate practices and earn its B Corp certification. We're honored to have Chloe as a sponsor for this episode and for our next one with the model and climate activist, Amber Valletta. I'd like to take a moment here to mention that we have a new website, thegreendream.studio, a handsome setup where you can tune into back episodes of this podcast, check out the accompanying transcripts, and sign up for the Green Dream newsletter. Now on to Andre. It's a fun fashion conversation, and at times, quite lively. You'll hear him pounding his big fist on the table to make his many important points. In this first section, he speaks about when he met John Galliano. At the time, John was dating and living with fellow British fashion designer Jasper Conran. Andre also talks about his friend, the shoe designer Manolo Blahnik, and Manolo's sister Evangeline, who helped run the business and the London boutique. Andre then moves on to explain how Galliano's landmark fall-winter 1994-1995 show came together. At times, Andre mentions Stephen, who was Stephen Robinson, Galliano's longtime design assistant and studio manager, who died in 2007 of a cocaine-induced heart attack. And he talks about British milliner Stephen Jones, who designed all the hats for John Galliano's collections, and Sao Slumberger, who was the Portuguese socialite in Paris and a good friend of Andre's. Do note there is one French word Andre uses a lot that you may not know. Toile, spelled T-O-I-L-E. A toile is the design studio's Muslim mock-up of an outfit. Now sit back and enjoy. This is how I met John Galliano. Okay, first let's go back. At one time, I used to go to London at a certain point for the collections. And I remember very well that I had gone to London and probably see Vivian Westwood. She was then the top thing to go see. I think I was a mini clan show. And I was in London and I was invited to go to Jasper Conran and John Galliano's house for dinner. At Richard a, Park. Yes. When they were a couple. Remember right. they were a couple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they used to go around town dressed together like little Lord Fontelores. <laughs> and so I went to this dinner on a Sunday, me and Manolo in the house, and everything was fine. And on a Monday afternoon, around 4.35 o'clock on a Monday, I was in Manolo's shoe store on the old church road. And he had just installed new carpeting. And I felt, I felt something was happening inside of me that I really thought, get out of this store because it's going to erupt into a volcano. And I threw up because the fish that was served on Sunday night was obviously bad. And it gave me the... You know when you get sick from food poisoning, like. But it was like the exorcist, and I felt it coming. You know, you just yeah. And I ran to the door and ran to the sidewalk, and actually, there was a vomitorium on the sidewalk, just Uh. a vomitorium. Later, I had to go get the hose and wash it up because it felt so bad. I was so embarrassed, but then thank God I left Manolo's store because you know he would have been stuck with me again. And (laughs) Evangeline would have never given me the time of day. And thank God I didn't throw up on that carpet. And it was, that's when I first realized who he was because I have that memory that I went to their house for dinner and then the next day I, I was, was sick, as a dog. Yeah, sick as a dog throwing up in, on the side of, of uh, Manolo's store. And Evangeline saying, well, thank God you went outside. But then they helped me clean up. And I went to bed for two days and I was fine. Then I didn't see John anymore. And one day someone in Paris said to me, oh, there's this incredible, you, you've got to go see the John Galliano show because he was, I remember the show where at the end they had pillow fights 
Yes. I said, well, I don't know this show. And they said, well, here, they gave me the video. Then I got to do Amanda Harlick in, in Wales. I had knew of Amanda, but I'd never really gotten it close to her. So we were in the house. And of course, all the style was there. We were running around on the beach and there were bats were in the barn and everything. And she started putting out these extraordinary jackets of John Galliano. What one was a jacket that was structured, but the black organza was in see-through. And in it was like, you know, when a child has a toy, oh, you fine. turn it upside like down and, floats, and it floats, but it was silvery sparkles or something. The jacket was implanted with stuff that moved. Right. And so every time I would look, she would have these extraordinary John Galliano pieces. We were on the beach taking a picture, and all the clothes then were John Franco Ferre, mostly of them. Right. And Amanda put them on. And then at one point, we were on the beach, and she, I said, what are you doing? Why are you collecting all that stuff, that trash? She said, this is not trash. This is the inspiration box. I'm collecting broken shards of glass and things from the beach it's that nice. I think were fabulous, and I will put them in boxes and with John, and that will be the inspiration. That's how it would work. So she was picking up colors of glass and stuff and things that I wouldn't look at and sending them to John in Paris for his show. Wow. Then- Why did you put her in foray? Why did you- Because at that point, I had some John Galliano. We did photograph in one John Galliano thing. Okay. Maybe one or two. But also I had to make a big story. You know, you can't just put her in John Galliano at that point. Right. Oh. And I wanted the Ferrer coat because it was a fabulous coat. It was a fabulous coat. coat. So it was about a whole story. I had to oh. mix it up. But there was some Galliano, I think. And it goes back and look at the I'll look story. it again. I think that black jacket I'm talking about is in there. We were in Milan, and Anna and I came back on the same plane. And for some reason, oh, how did I meet John? Where did I meet John? He was in Paris. Then after I met Amanda, I was really interested in what John was doing because I had met Amanda. And so I was keeping up through him, through Amanda. So we were in Milan, Anna and I, we came back on the plane late one night from Milan. And I said, well, I'm going to see the John Gallagher preview. And that's when I went to that studio, Plan Studio. And they were up in some little Dickensian sort of yeah, corner yeah. with a Brunson burner heating up canned foods. And there was a, one of the big twelves for the Kremlin's, for the, yeah, the Russians leaving the Winter Palace. And I didn't even see a dress. I saw a twelve, a huge big twelve. And Amanda wasn't there. Stephen and John were there. And they were literally like chickens. It was like a little thing to warm the tea. Hot plate or? No, a little Bunsen can. Of, no, not even that. A little can. Sterno. Sterno. And it was 11 o'clock at night, and they described this to me, and they described it vividly, and so I said, this is going to be an incredible show. And from that one film in the style, we got involved. Then I went to the film in the show, which was absolutely amazing. amazing. There was Christy Turlington, Ascot, Great Maxi Coats, Manolo's, you know, Fabulous Stiletto Mules, yeah. the Tilted Hat, the Tilted Trilby, the Tilted Derby, and it was a fabulous. And I just started talking about it, you know, saying, this is extraordinary, and telling people that this is it. And the show was absolutely brilliant. And then about three or four days later, someone calls me and says, John is sleeping on the floor at Stephen's house. And he's making fun of my soup. And so we met. I said, John, what is this? What do you mean you just got out there? You got dismissed them, remember? Yep. And right after the successful show. Yeah. And so we thought, well, this cannot be. You just had the most extraordinary show in the whole season. And now you've been fired and you're sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag in Stephen's house. And he was totally, you know, he's you know, chicken at the times. When he has a trauma, he can't even talk. He can't. He can't function, he can't talk, he's shaking, he's trembling, you think he's got the shakes, you think he's coming up here with, and I said, well, this is just gonna be, because the clothes were fabulous. And at the same time, from that Ascot scene, like, you know, the Ascot dresses, there was the Russians and the crinolines escaping the revolution, then they go to Scotland in the Highland Finn jig with the little mini skirts and the plaid, with the those dovetail things on the thing. And then I said to Sal, 
this is something you have got to see and you have absolutely got to order clothes. So he went to Sal's house and he made her an ankle length kilt inspired by those kilts. There were many in his show and she loved it. And that was fitted in the house. He had no money. So then it was no Christmas and someone gave me a Christmas party. Glenn Baum and Mortimer gave me a sit down dinner in his cafe. And we went to this dinner and there was John Bolt. John Booth I had met before through Katie Marin and Don Marin. Uh, right. And he said, do you think there's anyone in fashion I should be interested in? And I said, well, let me think about that. And then we came back to Paris in January and there was still no money for John Pence, who was being a dog to him. And John Booth called me and said, I'd like to come to Paris in a Concord and discuss with you. I'd like to represent someone in fashion. So John Booth flew in a Concord one Saturday. We met in the lobby of the Hotel Bristol. Right. We sat down, John was not there, and he said, tell me something. He's seen John at this dinner party. Do you think this is something I can get involved with, John Gallion? I said, absolutely, you can. We do need the money, and he needs you, and we need the support. Whatever you can do. This is on a Saturday. He flew on the Concord right. to meet with me, not with John Gallion. He sat in the Bristol. Right. He went back to New York. He called me. He says, I'm coming back to New York this Saturday, and I'm going to set up whatever you need. And he came back the next Saturday on the Concord, and with a lawyer, his lawyer in Paris. Right. Next week, John and myself, and Stephen went to his representative in Paris and he set up an escrow of $50,000. That show at Sarge Lambertier was all done with a meager $50,000 from John Bolt. Right. So he put in an escrow. We went to the French lawyer. John was trembling. He didn't even talk. I mean, every time I saw him, then he was just shaking. Yeah. And then we had to figure out where can we have the shows. And then it came to me that Sarge at the best house to boost the And it was free. Because it's empty. It was empty. And it's going to be given to free. And it's not going to cost anything. So I said to John and Stephen, we're going to take Sal to lunch. I can't remember the restaurant, but it was some fabulous place where they served the food. So I said, we're going to take Sal to lunch. And we're going to sit down and just let them talking. And I said, Sal, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> we are here. We have a project that we would like you to be involved in. We have this fabulous show. We have this extraordinary thing we want to do, and we have the money we want to put on this fashion show in your former house. And it will really be incredible, and we will have two shows, and the world will come, and it will be extraordinary, and you can order all the clothes you want. And, you know, Sal didn't do much. She was very restrained when she talked, and she looked at us, and she said, of course you can have my house. I'll just go get a mini facelift because it was going to be a big thing for us. And that's how we got Sal's house. And I must say, it all came together, like I'm telling you. John booked the $50,000 style, gave us the house. The models came in for free. Right. Manola was called. He did this shoes for free. Amanda came, and, you know, Stephen did the hats. Amanda was instrumental. At the Chambre Shake house, I give total credit to Amanda because she was the stylist. I had nothing to do with the picking of the clothes or the way they were going to be shown. It was a stunning show, as you remember. It was a brilliant show. Oh, and another thing he didn't want to do, Stephen and John, we're not on the radar with Nadia Aramon. I was going to ask you about that. Nadia Aramon was coming straight up into vogue. Helma Newton, big. Legs up to there. Yeah, and Stephen said awesome. to me, we don't get that model. I said, well, you're going to get her. Because you know what? She's in vogue, and she's going to be in the show. You're going to get her. Well, we really don't like her. She's not feeling it. I said, Stephen, listen to me. You have got to put Nadia Aramon in this show. Well, she's not really our type of girl. I said, I don't care. She's got to be in the show. And of course, she had one of the best outfits. Because once she came and they met her, they put on the hat and the coat and nothing else, the legs and shoes. It was so brilliant. It was brilliant. 
And so he did listen. They did listen. I remember we had two shows. And they were in the morning. They were in the morning. But they still started late. They started late because, you know, but they were still putting the ruffle on Kate Moss's dress, her Japanese evening gown, in one of Styles' rooms. They had the door closed, and they were still in there pinning and putting the thing on. But just one. But they're going to always be late because that's the way creative people are. Yeah. You know, they're magicians. Look at our life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's always late. I never expected it to have that kind of impact that it did, but I was glad. And I said, and it takes the village. He always trusted Amanda on everything. So Amanda was right there controlling the whole thing creatively. Yeah. And all I had to do was just zhush, tweak, and greet the guests yep. and get the guests to come. And Sal was very, 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 very pleased. And a lot of people think that was actually the high point of his career. I, I think so too. Because he had the world in his feet, the world of Vogue. First 17 time. perfect outfits. 17 perfect outfits, starting late because they're sewing on one pink muffle at the bottom of Kate Moss. The perfect The most passing. beautiful girl. And the most beautiful makeup. And the little Stephen Jones hats. And those the world's most beautiful jewels. Amanda, the guards, they're telling me the guards upstairs, there were so many. It was like a traffic jam on the third floor. Yeah. Where they were keeping the jewelry. Also, apparently, bad. which is good for your book, Children were conceived between shows. I love that. Mr. Bolt had given the money. Of course, Anna went to was all over it and it's all over Vogue. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. There were great moments, though. I think we became very close friends that summer in Paris. I used to have him over to my apartment. Where was your apartment? On Boulevard de la Tour Maubourg, 94. Right. And I would have him over and have movie nights with him and Stephen and I. Or in the afternoons, I'd say, come up here to see this fabulous movie because he didn't know all the great black and white movies. I had this room in the back. I had like three bedrooms with one bedroom. I made it to a TV room. And it was Sunday afternoon. And you know, window gave onto the courtyard in a French building. If you open the windows, people can hear you Absolutely. screaming and everything. And it was 4.30 and we were watching Alice Adams. It's great movie with Captain Pepper. And when Hannah McDaniel said, this, uh, John went ballistic. He was screaming out in the window. And it's Sunday afternoon. I said, John, stop screaming. By the way, coming to see a movie in my house, just the three of us, think of what the looks were like. The looks were as attenuated, as detailed as on a runaway in Dior. He was wearing that day a sort of a sari skirt, like a seafoam green sari skirt, a blazer, and dark white boots. But everything was chosen. It was not from old jeans and a t-shirt. He dressed to come to this movie screening thing. Dinner is served. And so he just kept screaming. He got obsessed with it. So he was just screaming, dinner is served. And he was not nothing. This was Sunday afternoon. He wasn't stoned. I had no drugs to give him. I had no marijuana. We may have had alcohol. We may have had maybe some vodka. I don't even think I had vodka. And just he just kept it. screaming, dinner is served. He loved it. He loved it. He loved it. Dinner is served. That's one of my favorite moments with him. Just screaming. And this is at 4 30 and 9 o'clock. He's still screaming, dinner is served. Dinner is served. Out the window into the courtyard. Because <laughs> he's pretending he's, he's had a McDaniels. He's I pretending agree. he's had a McDaniels. Dennis, Dennis. It was one of my favorite things. Had a McDaniels. It was one of my favorite things ever with him. Let's take a break here to compose ourselves, pour a cup of tea, and allow me to tell you about our new website, thegreendream.studio. There you can find back episodes of this podcast and their accompanying transcripts. And you can sign up for the Green Dream newsletter written by yours truly. Do take a spin on it. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. 
Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and at select stores. And this episode is sponsored by Chloe, luxury fashion's first B Corp certified brand, dedicated to bringing positive impact to people and planet and everything it does. Chloe is committed to improving social and environmental sustainability with greater transparency, accountability, and beyond, with the aim to create a fairer and more sustainable future. Find out more on Chloe.com. Now let's return to my 2013 interview with legendary Vogue editor Andre Leontali. He's about to tell us how he helped his friend and longtime John Galliano creative consultant, Amanda Harlick, land a plum job. So Amanda and I had become really close because, you know, who she is, and I had gone to her house and, and way off to the red coat. So this is my second trip to Amanda's house, which is a very important part of the story. So after they had gone to Givenchy and gotten those big, you know, jobs at Givenchy for the last year and a half, whatever, and Amanda had getting treated like, you know, she was nobody, and she was telling me this. Yeah. And I thought, well, this cannot be. I've got to do something out to help Amanda. She's got to survive. She's got two children, a divorce, living in a rundown house where it's freezing cold, and she's got bills to pay. So it was one summer couture, July, fall, winter. And Amanda was in town, and I was still living here. You know, I was living in Paris. And she's still, the saga's going on. And I said, hmm. I said, Carl, I would like to bring Amanda Harlick to the Chanel show. That's all I had to say. I said, can, she, can I invite Bring Can I invite her? Oh, sure, why not? Because at this point, Carl. So I said, Amanda, you're coming to Chanel's show. And then I took her backstage to meet Carl. And I know Carl well enough. All I had to do was stand back and see of what Carl was going to say to her and how he was going to respond to her. And of course, she was dressed in some little simple black thing. And all I needed to hear was, go to the couture and order anything you like. And he said that. I wasn't coaxing him. And he said, oh, really? Oh, no, I can't. Of course, she was being totally polite. And she got herself a very beautiful, simple black wool coat to the floor. Simple black boucle wool coat. And that was in June and July. And that told me Carl likes her. October ready to wear. The saga continues. They are not giving her more money. She's been treated badly by the person who was the president. He's gone now. You remember he was some man? Bosume. She I got said, it, honey. I know. <laughs> and so it was saga was still going in, and I said to myself, well, I have to say something to Carl. Because now she has ordered her couture thing that he's given her as a gift generously. And I'm on the phone to Carl one day, and I said, you know what? It just cannot possibly be. Amanda is being treated badly. It just has got to change. I just can't let this happen to her, because she's so wonderful. And then he's seen he likes her. And he says, darling, 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 do whatever you want. Take her to the boutique, dress her, and bring her to the show. I said, oh, really? Yes, just go to the boutique, dress her up, and bring her to the show. And so this is on a Sunday. So I call Amanda. I said, Amanda? We're going to the Chanel boutique. They're opening it for us before 10 o'clock. The show is on maybe it's Monday to Tuesday. And we're going to go in there and we're going to run through and get you totally dressed in Chanel head to toe. And we are going to the Chanel ready to wear show. I didn't say what was happening, nothing. I never assumed that Carl would say, I'm going to give you a job. I just said, just do it. Just follow my lead. Get in the stuff you want. And we're going to run to the show. And we literally go in there. She gets a gray suit with a skirt and a jacket with jewel buttons. She puts her own Stephen Jones hats. Manolo's, we fly in the store, we get the whole of the bag, the gloves, and shoes in 15 minutes. They have opened the store, the boutique on Rupembo. We get in one of the Vogue cars and we rush to the show. And as we're rushing into the show, Joan Juliet Bach, who's very smart, says to me, 
oh, Amanda, are you working? Don't you think you work for Carl? Because she sees the clothes. And it was a show where the girls were coming on a treadmill. You yeah. know the show yeah. over there yeah. on the cake? Yeah. But they were on roulettes, treadmills or something. And after the show, we go backstage. And then Carl says something to Amanda. And she has the proposition to come to work in Chanel. And for Carl to say, get anything you want. She could have ordered six things he would have said in nothing. But he knew then, too, that this person could work in his world, even though she had a huge relationship with John. He knew by her style and who she was and her intellect and her upbringing, her education, this lady is going to be great in my world, too. And it never wavered. Now, that was in October. And then I was in Paris. I didn't go to New York. And I went on Thanksgiving with Amanda, with her home to Wales. We went to the airport together to Birmingham because now she's going to go home and wait to see what kind of contract Chanel was sending her. So I felt very much a part of this. So I said, okay, I'll go for two weeks. So we get on the plane. We go to Birmingham. She's got the same suit she's got in the boutique, the whole thing. And we get off the plane. I stay at her house for a week. So the first night, we get off the plane. We go into this fabulous, harlot, country seat house. And I go into a guest bedroom. And I go to bed. And I can tell you, I felt as if I was sleeping on a lake of ice. I was never so cold in my entire life. I thought I was sleeping on a lake of ice. A lake of ice in a guest bed. It was so cold. I thought, I cannot take this. So the house is so big, and she's still married to the Lord Harlick, but they've split up because Lord Harlick is having an affair with a Filipino nurse or something. Master in the other side of the house. Was this the house called the Mount? The Mount. Yeah. So and the kids are there. The kids are there. They're young, two little yeah, jackets. They, they were small. And so after that first night, I just couldn't take it because Lord Holland would cut the heat off in the middle of the night to save money. So you're literally freezing. He would cut the heat. So then the second night, no, the second night, she found me sitting in the morning room where there was a fire, sitting in the morning room near the kitchen because that was the only place there was a fire going. And Jasmine was going to school, he had on shorts. I said, Amanda, how can your child go to school with those shorts on? Children don't feel cold like adults do. Yeah, she's going to have to ride a horse with two layers of sweaters, you know, the whole nine yard, the whole, and I'm sitting there freezing. So she finds me in the morning and says, what are you doing down here? I said, I'm so sorry, Amanda. I have to go back to Paris. What for? I said, well, I've got some medicine. You can order it in Wales. And I think I left it in the Ritz. I really need my medicine. Oh, what is it? We can get it at the pharmacist. I had to break. I said, man, I'm so cold. I even had a coat, a fur coat, sit from the bits, FedEx, DHL over. I said, I can't cope with I'm sorry, your house is too cold. I'm not used to this. Oh, please, we'll fix it. So then I had to move to the living room, the drawing room, and slept in the drawing room for a week on the sofa because that's the only place yeah, I could have a fire and I could get up and stoke the fire. <laughs> and Lord Harlot came in one night and he says, What's going on in here? And I was by myself. The man was in the room, she's upset in the bed because she was sleeping in her own bed. I said, I'm cold, I'm stoking the fire. I have to be warm. So I stayed there for a week. She would ride all day. I would sit in the house and send faxes to her. And she got the contract, and that's how she got the Chanel. Brilliant. In 2008, John Galliano was supposed to fly from New York to Savannah to receive the Andre Leon Talley Lifetime Achievement Award at the Savannah College of Art and Design, or SCAD. Things did not go as planned. Andre begins by summing up how he sees John Galliano as a designer and a friend. He is a magician, 
I think he is one of the rarest people that we've ever had in the world of fashion. He has shown at many times total respect and total disrespect. For instance, I gave him the Anthony Antale Lifetime Achievement Award at SCAD. What year was it? 2008. And SCAD is very gracious to me to get this award and take very good care of them. Yeah. They're picked up on a chartered plane. They're taken to SCAD. The whole treatment, they're treated royally. So we are going, Catherine Ross, at that time working at Dior, and I are going to SCAD. And I'm on my way to the airport, Teterboro, to get on the charter plane, and I get a phone call. And I'm almost at the airport, it's Captain Ross. I'm so sorry, bad, bad news. I can't wake John up. I says, what do you mean we can't wake John up? She says, he won't come answer the door. He was in New York to come, but he wouldn't get up out of bed. And I said, well, then that's so sad. You'll have to come and accept the award for him, because she's coming anyway. And she did, remember? And I mean, here was a big thing. And he just, for some reason or another, was he out of it? Was he stoned? He didn't get up out of the bed to come to SCAD. But he made his trip and he stayed out of it or something. Yeah. Remember, he didn't go to the Buckingham Palace. I know, I know. And he later I, said he had a migraine. So years later, this is how he makes it up to me. Years later, maybe not the same year, but maybe two years later. He suddenly has been knighted by the Queen and given some medal, the OB. I'm at Oscar Lorenzo's studio at Balmain, and it's a Saturday night. And John calls and says, I want you to come see my clothes, because I could go anytime and look at the previews. He didn't hide things from me. But I just would say, this is great, this is great. Stephen, and this is great, this is fabulous, you can tweet this and not tweet this. And I go to the Christian Dior on a Saturday night to see his collection and be showing the next Monday or something in the tour. He says, I have something for you. And I said, what is it? And he went and he got this little box and it was his medal for being knighted. He says, this is what you need. And he gave me the box and I took it and I put it in the safe. He could have given it to his mother. I was really touched that he did that. So that was his way of saying he was sorry. Really sorry. And I still have it. And I said to him, if you ever want it back, you can have it. You can always take it back. And I still have it in the faith in New York. I never uh -huh. wear anything. But I thought it was the greatest gesture you could have done. Absolutely. He said, this belongs to you. Oh, and I was so. I didn't think that I had made that much of an impact in his life. I just tried to get over it. And that, dear listeners, was my friend Andre Leontali, a good and kind soul who dedicated his life to helping gifted young talent get the recognition and advancement they deserved. Such generous spirits don't come around very often, especially in the cutthroat fashion business. And we are so very lucky when they do. He is sorely missed. Thank you for listening to the Green Dream special tribute to Andre Leontali. Tune in next week for our episode with supermodel and climate activist, Amber Valletta. We'll talk about how fashion can be more sustainable. We hope you'll join us. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and at select stores. And this episode is sponsored by Chloe, luxury fashion's first B Corp certified brand, dedicated to bringing positive impact to people and planet in everything it does. Chloe is committed to improving social and environmental sustainability with greater transparency, accountability, and beyond, with the aim to create a fairer and more sustainable future. 
Find out more on Chloe.com. The Green Dream was written by Dana Thomas. From TalkBox Productions with executive producer Tavia Gilbert and mix and master by Kayla Elrod. Music performed by Eric Brace of Red Beat Records in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Dana Thomas, the European Sustainability Editor for British Vogue. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, where my handle for both is at Dana Thomas Paris. And you can sign up for the Green Dream newsletter at our website, thegreendream.studio. Thank you for listening.